0: Welcome to the Heroes of Reality Podcast, a podcast dedicated to uncovering and discovering the stories, lessons, and insights to help you be the hero of your own story. This podcast is brought to you by Reality Smash, a transformational studio that empowers purpose driven entrepreneurs with disruptive technologies like ChatGPT and virtual reality to generate more revenue and create greater impact. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Welcome to the Heroes of Reality Show. On today's podcast, I have an incredible guest named Jeff Walker. He is the chairman of the New Profit, a social change venture fund, and is founding partner of the Community Health Acceleration Partnership, focused on the frontline health in Africa and the U.S. He is also currently serves on the board of the African Philanthropy Forum, Just Capital UVA Center of Complementative Sciences, where he is the chair. He also is the partner of the Bridge Builders Investment Fund for the Mindful Wellness and many other topics, as well as an author, and which you are going to dive into more on this podcast. But I'd first like to kick things off by saying, welcome, Jeff, to the show. I'm glad to have you on. Hey, Dylan. Great to be here. Yeah. I'm excited to to wrap with you. First things first, are you in Japan? Is that what's going on in the background? What you got going (laughs) on back there?
1: This is the Japanese tea garden that's outside of Charlottesville, Virginia. And it was given to the University of Virginia by John Kluge, who took two years to build it. So we
0: go on retreats there, and this is where I'd like to be sometimes. So I love to have it behind me. Oh, I love that. The whole, like, tatami going on in the background and everything you've got there looks incredible. I had the wonderful ability of studying Japanese for a while and then going to Japan for a little bit. And just the culture and the community and the dedication. And the one thing I noticed that they do really well that we're very different is that we're very, at least in the US, a lot of it's very self focused. They're very collective focused. Have you noticed that to be true? That's true for
1: most of the Asian cultures. And I think it's a little bit of some things we could borrow from in
0: thinking of the collective we as opposed to the me. Mm. Since that is your background and the place you want to be, how is that? Influenced some of the decisions you've made with the nonprofits and business and everything else in terms of your the way that you operate.
1: My life's always been a, a partnership of the we looking for ways to work with others from seventh grade when I was walking in the band room and learning how to play bass, tuba, and sousaphone in lots of different bands to pulling a partnership together at JP Morgan when we created the private equity and venture capital business to finding Others to work on major issues of the world, whether it's malaria and cutting the deaths from malaria or working on democracy and some work we do there. Or I chair the Contemplative Science Center at UVA and building a collaboration of 15 major universities to bring well-being and flourishing to students. So it's to me, it's it's the way I live. I find others to work with and I get energy out of that. And that's in my mind moving becoming hopefully developing my ego to it so it's a bit more managed so we can care about others and and work together in a better
0: way yeah that is a challenge on both sides of that is the having the ego be a tool to serve you but not dominate you in a way that it gets you to drive forward and progress but also not let it put you in a place that doesn't serve you how have you found that balance because it seems like you're in a unique place of the economic drivers in terms of business and JP Morgan, all that, along with the nonprofits and mindfulness, a very interesting balance balancing act between those two areas. Have you found a way to manage that between the ego and the other? In my mind, it's hard to create a true partnership,
1: particularly these days where money to the new structures is a book, good book called new power by Henry Timms, who kind of lays out the new structures tend to be flatter structures less hierarchical and more locally driven. I wrote a book and an article in Stanford social innovation review on this locally driven network supported models. And I think that works in the for-profit and nonprofit worlds these days, Mm -hmm. thinking about how can I learn from others? How can I create strategies and techniques that leverage off of all the different stakeholders around a common issue or common problem or things you want to go after. And if you come in with the answers, if you come in with the ego saying, I will be able to figure out all of the big problems or answers and everyone else will just follow me, then you're going to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. And uh, that might've worked in the past, but now with lots of people of different ages, demographics, cultures that need to come into bear, I think you'll fail. Mm-hmm. No, I live with that. And I uh, have been a meditator since 1972 and have been working and helping support the science to prove that you can become a bit more of a managed ego, have a bit more managed ego if you do the work and whether that's breathing practices, somatic movement, yoga practices, whatever they might be. And I used to be teaching meditation in my old private equity So Here I am, vice chairman of JP Morgan and teaching meditation back in the late 80s, 90s, and 2000s. And we were always a bit different and we,
0: that's, we were in our group as that flat partnership oriented structure. Sure it sounds much more tribal in nature you have like a smaller cohort of people, all collaborating, working together and finding where they fit. Have you, can you, I, I do want to dive into. EO e. Wilson. I just
1: have to say EO Wilson, a great writer at Harvard yeah. would say that is how humans are built. That is right. how we survive. That's how we survived the African veld. we helped and supported each other, whether young or old and each had our purpose and we're built for that.
0: How can we leverage off of that natural instinct? hundred percent. On that, humans are constantly solving one problem while creating other problems. And I think the agricultural revolution and the industrial revolution and these revolutions solved one problem while creating other problems along the way. Part of the problems that it created was the loss of that tribal design, a tribal nature. So it seems like a lot of that is re-remembering what it is to be tribal in nature with each other, also integrating with technology.
1: And that's where we're finding peer-to-peer technologies really helpful in reconnecting people into their virtual tribes. And so whether that's allowing people to find others who are suffering the same problems
0: and help Mm -hmm. each other or others to work with together. That's fascinating. I want to dive into that, but I want to take a step back just so I can understand. You've done a lot of amazing things. You have quite the resume. Can you talk to me just the journey that led you up to this? Like how did you said you did this since the beginning, since seventh grade, but can you kind of walk me through a bit of a, a linear journey to the point of kind of your evolution with this concept? Sure.
1: I've always been a spiritual searcher. I, think I was born a Southern Baptist and evolved into my parents to Protestants, a Methodist, Presbyterian. And then by the time I got to high school and others, I'd been continuing to look at science and trying to ask bizarre questions to ministers, et cetera, I've been looking for what that next interesting models are and asking the weird questions and being a spiritual searcher, but also thinking about my own clan. And I found that in the music world. I found that I was also a nerd in school and working on math together or finding others of common interest and so that rolled into college ran I went UVA and became a Jeffersonian freak and said to these seven individuals created a country. How did that happen with Thomas Jefferson and others? And so learned at that time and at that place about a guy named Carlos Castaneda. and was reading then and I wrote a paper and did a speech on cheerleading photography saying there's energy fields around the human body. And then I was a major in accounting and computer science. I a, what a weird mix. And so that allowed me to... to, to to uh, have a different perspective, really, probably, on, on seeing where opportunities were. I was a science fiction freak. My dad worked on the Apollo Project with General Electric. We moved around a lot in the South, but I watched all the liftoffs, and we were down here in Florida. And uh, wanted to be an astronaut, but I got frustrated because I had glasses. So I couldn't be, but stayed around it. And so I think a lot of great new ideas and techniques and things that we live today were reviewed by science fiction long ago. And so I love those kinds of ideas and thinks about where the future are going. And then I worked a couple of years in Houston, Texas. I went to Harvard Business School and, and got out in finance. Again, working in a section there, working with partners, having people for 80 people for a year, just learning together. It was sort of a sample of enforcement for me of how to work with others. And then worked to work for a thing called Chemical Bank, which eight mergers later I had the same job (laughs) through my career, same organization, became J.P. Morgan. Um, And so learning how to bring together through eight mergers, all these different cultures and working together to build a private equity venture group, we merged lots of them in and built a global $12 billion operation around the world. And we were in India and we were in across Europe and Latin America and we focus on venture and private equity. So I was able to see all the new, really interesting ideas and how they might be able to come together, but also how to partner with CEOs and others and the companies that we invested in over five, six, seven-year periods for each one of them and what worked. And many times and most of the times, it wasn't us walking in telling them what to do. They would tell us to go to hell. It's more of coming in and say, we have some resources that we can bring to bear to help you succeed in what you want to do, let's work together to do that. And those became the CEOs we backed multiple times and we started up JetBlue and we started up Office Depot and they did AMC theaters and a, and a whole bunch of other things around the world. And I love doing that. I loved House of Blues we used to own. And so that was really fun. And the Guitar Center, a bunch of others, that was one of my areas, it's consumer side as well as healthcare. And so that became something in the future. I worked on, but we'd set up a partnership. We had once meetings once a week where everybody in the world came together and we talked about the issues, and it was all levels from partners down to associates and analysts and said, What can we all add as we're reviewing our portfolios and our returns and what the markets are needed? And so we grew significantly over the years. I got tired of that by the year 2007. That was fine. And I've been doing about 15% of my life in a nonprofit world. From there, I was on lots of boards and the Morgan Library board and of Virginia board and a whole bunch of others, a bunch of Harvard boards. But said, uh, i got tired of doing deals and uh, that was a good time for me to, to uh, retire. And uh, I went and I uh, was executive in residence and taught a little bit at, at Harvard Kennedy School and business school and worked on social change models, how to work together. And so moved from 10 or 15% of my life in the nonprofit and philanthropic space to about 90 plus percent. In over the last 15 years, and uh, worked with the United Nations, on, uh, a guy named Ray Chambers, who was the Secretary General's Envoy for Health on malaria. And over a 10-year period, deaths from malaria came down by a collaboration that was put together by many, but led by, by Ray in particular, came down by a million lives a year. So there's a million more people living because of that collaboration. And they brought together corporates and nonprofits and bilaterals and build awareness in the U.S. with American Idol and a bunch of others. Studying that and many others, you started learning about system change. And system change is nothing but looking at that larger system and finding how to get people to work together for that common issue or problem. And it's not bringing in the answer. We had backed in many days. I was chairman of a new profit. And we helped fund the startup of Teach for America and Teach for All and Kip schools and a bunch of other things. And those are wonderful. But a lot of times walking in as a social change agent and saying, I have the answer. Just give me more money and I will scale it and it'll all be great. And then you start realizing "Eh, that doesn't work because you aren't changing the system. You're just trying to prove a new idea, which is awesome and innovation, which is great. But then stepping back and figuring out, okay, how do I embed this into that system? How do I start changing the way things are being done? so that they take in these new innovations and that system change. And that's figuring out who to partner with, how to connect to others to to get the goals. But Having business strategies, having a return on investment, having data to track where you're doing and how you're measuring progress against the goals, how to use technology to leverage it. How do you find new innovations to put together? That to me is really a joy because you're becoming what we're calling a system catalyst, individuals that, and work with all these different stakeholders. And it's just usually a small number of individuals and pull them together mm. for a common cause. And that's what I talk about. That's what I love to work with. That's what I love to help support. It's like playing your own band. It's like playing with a jazz band in the old days where yes. you're bringing your great skills together, you're listening to others. So you're creating something you couldn't have done by yourself. And then you're remembering there's an audience that so there's an impact. So there's an impact you're trying to achieve. And when that all comes together, jazz guys will tell you, it's a flow state. It is spiritual. It is connected. And so that spiritual connections kind of live through my entire life, finding ways to connect to others, to enhance what I learn and what I know and what I can do and what they can do, and then have others benefit from that.
0: I love it. It's beautiful. You have a very interesting mix and a diverse background of in the business space, in the logical space, in the spiritual space, and tying these things all together to have a some systemic change for a net benefit is, is incredible. And talking about shift going from the business world into this nonprofit work, and the people want to be these change makers, you, you talk about you, this is... Do you have a framework to follow for that? If somebody was looking to say, okay, I want to be a change maker. there's an area I want to, I want to help the urban youth in Los Angeles or whatever it might be, what is there a framework or a step-by-step process to help them become a change maker?
1: Part of it is to find the things that really move you, that you're passionate about. Okay. Assigning things to people is not a good strategy. And guys that come to me, they leave a major investment bank or hedge fund and say, okay, now what do I want to do? I'm tired of doing that. I want to do something to help the world. And you kind of say, what are you passionate about? What moves you? What are you connected to? And if they say, I don't know, tell me what. I said, then you need to experiment. You need to go out and find some things. Play a little bit around to, guess, to see what really moves you into where you can find people you're connected with. And once you do that, then you can lean forward and find others who care about the same problem. And a good test is that you thinking you have the right strategy without verification or confirmation from others allows you to potentially increase your risk of failure. But when you start finding others, you're saying, well, the others have been working on this for a while. How do I learn from them? How do I join together with them? And whether you have your own resources or whether you have your own just network or they just want to join in and become one of the partners working on it. That to me is, it's a much better strategy. And whether it's, hey, the youth in Los Angeles need assistance, they have high adverse experiences. And so how can we bring them, bring to them the skills of mindfulness, of being able to handle those anxieties so that they don't reach out, so they don't go to the violence that they might naturally have done, or that they have resources that they need that they others don't have. So how can they use the educational system? to assist in doing that, whatever that may be, there are people out there that care about the same problem and that you finding them is a way to enhance your own skills and to self-develop. And then what happens typically is you develop yourself, you're around others who become the mirror of yourself. They start telling you when you're full of shit and then you work on things together and that allows you both to grow and for you to do something useful. So whether it's local, so go work in your own local school system or go work in your food shelter or, or food bank or whatever you want, or go work at the state level or work at the federal level or the international level global levels, whatever moves you and mm-hmm. finding the things that you can do. And then once you do that, you'll be stuck. You'll say, I need to do that some more because I see that all the time say, wow, that actually kind of worked. Gee, let's do that again. Let's do that with something else. And so we have examples. We have a podcast coming up called The System Catalyst, and it's all about stories of people who have been these catalysts, whether it's Giving Tuesday, I'm on the board of, and they have 85 countries that work together to increase radical generosity in the world, both in mon- monetary aspect, as well as what people can do to help others. And they've raised $3 billion on Giving Tuesday, right? And they have 85 countries that are doing their own local things and that there's a network support model on top. Or their community solutions on homelessness. They've brought homelessness down to near zero in 17 cities across the United States. They're in 105 cities right now. And they build these local collaborations with different stakeholders to address the problems. because it's not just building a house. It's also having issue, it, having assistance around workforce training, around mental health, and PTSD for veterans around child care. Whatever that might be, they come up with solutions and they use big data to do that because they track name by name. And so it's a huge opportunity. And the Foundation just gave them a hundred million dollars about a year ago because they found them to be the best. Or whether it's the end fund, ending like diseases across Africa, they're the coordinator and, and catalyst to help unify work around five neglected diseases, which is saving more lives you know what to do with. We have a whole list of them. And so finding ways to people to say, I think I'll do that. I think what Ellen Agler at the end fund is doing or Asha Curran at Giving Tuesday is doing, I want to be like them. And I want to work on those kinds of sets of issues. And then it becomes a little boring to go work in a company that's just focused on one thing, which is increasing profits or impact. Those are exciting too, but I've seen people go, wow,
0: this is even more exciting. Yeah, It's awesome the way you frame that. And what I've noticed is that if you focus on one, you'll starve in the other and you'll make a leap. And so, for example, from people that I've seen that that come out with purpose first, but there's, they don't actually have a way to monetize, they'll empty their cup out of giving so much without being able to have anything in return. And they'll say, I'm done. And they'll jump hard into straight business. Or business people, they'll go hard in the paint to make a profit, feel hollow and empty and go, this is it. This is what I'm spending my life on. Great. I've made X dollars. I there's no more actual meaningful joy you get from it. So then they'll jump over to the nonprofit side and they'll do this crossing the chasms. And from what I've really seen, and I felt it myself personally when I was doing, because I do a lot of high-end tech work using VR and AI for nonprofits and other things for social impact. But the trifecta that I've seen is people want to work on a meaningful project with people they like and get paid well for it. If you can hit those three, then you're in the right place because that way you know that you're working with people you enjoy on something that matters and you're not going to starve from that whole thing. And so you can have that fill up your own cup and fill up other people's cup and the spiritual and the financial and all those other means together. And so to me, I've seen that trifecta. Is there a missing piece from those things that I've mentioned that you think is another element in there or something that you want to add to that three-step piece?
1: The
0: last one on,
1: I think. Make enough money so that you can do, but you don't necessarily have to make so much money that it makes you much wealthier than others. True. And so individuals who say, I can also have a fourth thing, which has a major impact positively, sustainably on the world. Like there is a team of people who work together to save a million lives a year from malaria deaths that changed the world and did it in an amazing way. And have gone on to say, how do I affect the world positively and fight neglected diseases or whatever they might be. So they're taking their knowledge and their capability and their network, which is huge. If you can build this network over time, that you can build this trust network, that you can call people and they will respond and they will move resources with you, then that is something that you can continue to take away. So as you're doing the work that you're doing, you're continuing to build this ongoing, deep network that you can take with you over the, the years and leverage into your next assignment, you'll be better and better. Rather than, I am to accomplish something, now what am I going to do next? Mm-hmm. Evolve based on the network that
0: you have. Got it. So what you're saying is not only just working on a meaningful project, but a meaningful project that has a compound effect that magnifies your impact over time. They all do. That's the deal. Absolutely. Yeah. That's Absolutely. awesome. So I know, so is this, cause I know you're the author of the generosity network, that's one of the books that you've written. Is that the fundamental elements that come up in this or. I wrote that a
1: little while ago and that's about lowering walls between donors and doers so that you can build these partnerships. And we created something called the Jeffersonian Dinner. I was chairman of Monticello, Jefferson's home for a number of years. And imagine being at a table and typically having to talk to the person next to you on each side. When there's a really interesting op- opportunity or conversation across the table and you say, I, I want to be in that conversation. Why don't we have a whole table conversation? So you're listening to everyone at the table and you're listening as each person talks about it something they have done, talks about an interesting opportunity, talks about things that they've learned in the past, and it starts building on each other. So I'm learning from 10 minds as opposed to the ones just next to me. And that's what Jefferson did in the old days when he had dinners at his house. And he was a little hard of hearing. Let's work on listening to others in a more more focused way. That was just one tool. We use Marshall Gans. Marshall Gans was a researcher and professor at the Kennedy School at Harvard, and he has something called a public narrative, and that's embedded in it as well. So as you start working on movement building around social change, work on yourself, the story of yourself, the story of us, who we're connected to, and the story of what do we do now? And that was Martin Luther King, that was Cesar Chavez, that was basically any major movement you know about, used all three of those in the leadership of that movement. So that's what the book's about, is using a lot of those tools, as opposed to calling people up and having them write a check to you, and then that's it, is building these partnerships so that they lean in and work with you, solve so they start bringing in their networks and their knowledge to help build th- these strategies to work on something important rather than just treating them like they're, they're just another tool in the toolbox to accomplish
0: your own goals. Yeah. So working on the story of yourself, the story of the other, and the story of what do we do now? The story of the self, the story of
1: us, what are we together, what do we yes. have in common? How are we working on together? And then what do we do now?
0: I love that so one the jeffersonian dinners is one tool right and you talk about that you set up usually about 12 people sit around large table have one conversation and it's a mechanism for hive minding what's known as a you hear the word mastermind right the mastermind is a bunch of people coming together all group thinking on a common issue or topic or whatever that is one modality are there other um I'd say traditions or other types of rituals that you do besides a Jeffersonian dinner to be able to group think, group collect, rally around people in a unique way? We'll have expense
1: experiences together. We'll have ways of going to a Zen Japanese garden and sitting with each other and experiencing the nature there and the way it's, things are all laid out. And then you talk about that. The more you can get people in the moment rather than in the monkey mind, things are going on their own and get them focused on really connecting to each other, the more you're going to have people build trust. And so it's those experiences together that enhance that trust so that then you can work together in a more productive manner and fashion and create together. And there's a lot of things that IDEO is a great organization I was advising a long time ago, and they work on these creative tools that allow people to to generate ideas and solutions that they wouldn't have in another way. And so working on some hard topic and just ideating, there's a friend of mine used to just say, I bring people together and ask them to come together for an hour and a half around a whiteboard around a topic, an issue. And after that, all of a sudden I know who the four or five people in the room who are going to continue to work with me on that because they get jazzed about it. They kind of really get interested. They start seeing that there's a way to contribute. And so it's just a small ask saying, come in the room. Let's just talk about it. I want to drain your brain a little bit. And then you'll
0: start finding people who want to stay around and connect. Yeah. There is something around that collective whiteboard. It's that brain thinking on paper that you can all get around. I do get jazzed when you have a really large whiteboard and a bunch of people in the space. Because it feels like everyone can now think visually on something that we can all collaborate on. And if you have enough space and you have enough whiteboard, everyone kind of work on it and then you can drop your pen, go over to their section and go back and forth. And it's a really interesting way to kind of get out of our own head and in our own internal reality and get in that, sh- that shared social space, which I think was, is really important. And you bring up a really important point, And you said it a couple of times. I want to talk about, you talk about building trust, right? And trust is, I think it means different things, different people, right? So how do you, how would you personally define trust? And how do you recommend in these spaces, building trust? One of the things that uh, a friend of mine, Jerry Colonna, who wrote a book called Reboot, which is awesome.
1: He's a coach to the stars in the tech world, talks about vulnerability and you're not going to be vulnerable if you don't trust who's in the room. And so, Understanding that you can take a risk and talk about something that's hard, talk about something that you don't know the answer to, or a problem that you're having in your company with a person, or with, with a strategy, or with an investor, or whatever it might be, or in the nonprofit space. And so, having an experience where you take a little bit of risk and they respond rather than saying you're an idiot, you know, what you're talking about, or they start talking about their own deal and they're not really listening to you. All of a sudden this person starting to listen to you and they're not trying to solve it necessarily. They want to really hear out the problem and you say, I want to trust, I'll give them a little bit more. I'll start talking a little bit more about my sets of issues. Or you hear them talk about an issue and say, Hey, I've got the same thing. Let's talk about that. How's that feel to you? And so, if you can get them into a vulnerable point where they start saying, "I can open up a little bit," rather than "I have to be locked in and I have to have all the answers and I've got to lay out my plan so that you buy it or you follow it," so that expression of vulnerability comes with a set of trust. Mm-hmm. And the more you are able to trust somebody, the more vulnerable you'll be, the more open you'll be, more creative you'll be. If I have found the more you'll take a risk in an Ido session you'll be ideating on lots of different issues and you'll be throwing and brainstorming out. And if you can take the risk of looking dumb with an idea, nobody laughs. They work. let's do some more. How about this one? How about that one? And so that whiteboarding session becomes much more useful and interesting if people
0: aren't filtering their minds. Yeah, and it's very interesting because that humans are interesting creatures all over. Is that what I've noticed is that there is a, the truest truths are the polar opposites being true at the exact same time. And what I mean by that is we both are this individual self, right? That wants to be autonomous and wants to be free and wants to full expression, But we also want to be accepted by the tribe. We want to be embraced into it. And sometimes when we want to be accepted by the tribe, we diminish our own authenticity so that we get accepted or filtered or judgments But then what you're saying is that in order to create that connection and trust is you have to be willing to be authentic in that space and have that communication, which sounds like when you say trust, trust that if I'm vulnerable, you're not going to kick me when I'm down. But at the same time, I also have to have trust in myself that if you do kick me, I'm strong enough to handle it or it comes from a place of love. So it's or there are others around you that will basically say,
1: "Hey, that's not appropriate," you know, and that they'll defend you. So you're all of a sudden you're in your co-tribe, you're in your team that will help you yeah. get through those harder times.
0: Yeah, I often think of dogs. You watch the Dog Whisperer. ever, What? Well, the yeah. Horse Whisperer. I've seen. Oh, that horse. One. Oh, I haven't seen that <laughs> one. The Dog Whisperer is interesting because dogs are in packs. And they just want everything to be cool for the most part. And when you have a dysfunctional dog that's acting up, what the dude will do from dog whispers is he'll take them into a tribe, a healthy pack of dogs, and everyone's chill, right? And the energy of the tribe calms them out. And then if it acts up, the dog acts up, the other dog's going to check them. It goes, oh, oh, I can't do that. And there's just some dysfunctions of not being around a healthy tribe of people and learning what does it take to communicate without dog trauma, if you would, right. To be able to have this happen. How have you seen, or do you have any recommendations of people that might be have past trauma that maybe don't express themselves well, well, or have, have trust issues. How have you seen people being able to help them open up dog whisperer style, if you would, in a way that would help them to learn that this is a safe place.
1: One that's semi-related, keeps popping to my mind, is in the sports world. We had a guy connect with us um, a while back, Bill Russell, who was one of the great basketball players of the world. And uh, he was playing with the Celtics. He said there was a team and we had issues as part of a team as we were working along the way, but then we got enough to get to the semifinals. He said, and we finally started clicking because guys started letting down their egos and started thinking about better the collective and for the team. He said, we got into a flow state. So we all turned around to each other after we won a game and said, what the heck just happened? We won, we scored more points than we've ever scored before. And there was like two minutes where we caught every pass. We knew where everybody was. We made more baskets than we have ever achieved. And he said, we felt connected. We want more of that. And so they continued to work for that feeling that they all had together. And he said, and I've seen that work in not only basketball, I've seen it work in baseball teams and lacrosse teams and others. At University of Virginia, we have a whole set of coaches that are worrying working on team-oriented activities, as opposed to one and done, where somebody comes in and plays for a year and, and leaves and goes to the pros. They won't do that. He said, they are going, no, this is the advantage of the team. The team will win against somebody who is working as the individual Yes, you mold in as you're starting to get that mm-hmm. feeling of connection. I've seen that in music. I've seen that where people think they're the best musician in the world or singer in the world, and they start performing at an audience or the team itself just start saying, I'm just following whatever you tell me to do. That's a terrible experience. And so working out and figuring out how to do that, how to do it more intelligently is building that team. So mm-hmm. that's the importance of a coach, that's the importance of a leader, is figuring out how to take outliers and move them into the team and get them that taste of what it's like working together and then they're more likely to become part of that team. There are outliers still that you have to exclude from the team because they don't get it and another
0: life they'll figure it out and that's okay. And people respect that. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And also what it sounds like too, is it microcosms in terms of when you look at the tribe and then you look at a team. And then you're talking about, okay, this team is all working towards a common goal. Everyone has a purpose on the team, so they feel like they matter. They're contributing towards that team, towards that goal. At the same time, they're autonomous in their own area. They're responsible for their own stuff, but they're pushing in the direction of the collective good of the tribe for a mission overall. And that group movement, and the coach is organizing and creating the environment for them to be able to perform under, right? And creating enough pressure. Because what flow is really is shooting down like the prefrontal cortex part of the brain where you're like, I don't got time to critically monkey mind think I've got to go. And so you have that stir, right? You have the selfless, you have the timeless, you have the richness, you have all that stuff where you're inside of the moment. And when you're inside of that moment, you lose the self. And when you lose the self-being in flow, either flow and environment on a surfboard, for example, or that team flow of I am merged into the oneness of the team and flowing into that, then you really could let down that wall because you're no longer trying to protect yourself from the other because you are in that collective we. That's what I'm hearing you say, and that's what it sounds like you're you're. It's not,
1: it's absolutely, and you make a really great point in that each individual is doing their own thing within that collective. Yeah. So each of us have our own strengths and that's the ultimate in the partnership where each individual feels like they're treated and honored as the individual,
0: but they know how they fit in that larger team. That's a balance, right? That really beautiful balance. All the work that you've done, right? You've done A lot in the areas of business and technology and mindfulness and benefit humanity. And it sounds like this system change, creating system change in these nonprofit environments to have these huge systemic effects on the environment, on human population, and just overall net positive benefits to mankind. What is your holy grail? What are you hoping to achieve flag in the sand at the end of the day? Why are you putting all your effort into this? It's if each person experienced this
1: and started understanding what it's like to work in this set of partnerships in this vulnerable mode, then the ripples of that, which is happening, ripples of that will bring to the world a different way of working together. And we're kind of learning about how to think about changing things that are really hard, and it's getting harder but doing that in an integrated way. And so if we do that, then people have tools to start figuring out how to work and address those larger problems. And the suffering in the world will go down. And it is going down dramatically. We've already seen that. And all these complexities are still out there in the world, we get that. Mm -hmm. Because the more things, you know, come up like technology and others, the more things are in our minds. But where people are safer, people are healthier, People are eating better around the world. It's unbelievable. So we have momentum. So how do we take that momentum and supercharge it? And to me, this is that time. And rather than having somebody who's politically, for example, far left saying, I have all the answers and everybody just needs to follow me, or somebody that's in the far right saying the same thing, we have to figure out how to talk to each other and work on the important areas of suffering. Like I'm working on maternal death, maternal health right now. And there's more, the United States is 38th in the list of developing countries that you want to have a birth in because you're much more likely as a mother to have risk of dying at birth in the United States than you are in 37 other major developed countries. Why is that? Why is New Jersey 46th worst in the country? Why is Arkansas 48th worst? And so it happens to be black women die at a higher rate than white women do. They tend to not get prenatal work. And so these are the things that I've worked on in Africa over the years that we can bring back to the United States in lower suffering levels by getting people to work together. And so we have. And so we've got the governor of New Jersey working on it, Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. we got Merck. We've got Pfizer. So you get these companies. And so it's not just a nonprofit thing. This is a passion set of issues that every stakeholder, companies, nonprofits, political groups, foundations, and others come together to solve these problems. And it's happening left and right. So if we can do that, we'd all of a sudden have given tools to people rather than saying, oh, I'm just going to set up another organization that's going to
0: solve the problems and stall out and get frustrated. So it sounds like the holy grail is to really create these empower people with tools to create systemic change to reduce the global suffering of mankind. Absolutely. And if that, and, you know, you know, I got to give yeah. you
1: another example. Yeah, totally. There's a, there's one that, that we helped fund at new profit that a good friend of mine is chair of called girl Trek. And this is over a million and a half African-American women. That for the last 10 years have gotten together to walk together two to three times a week in almost hundred cities across America, and when they walk, they get healthier. Got a lot of science around that one. When they walk, they talk. When they talk, they social organize. So they start becoming much more involved in their schools, in their communities, and they feel empowered. So rather than as individuals, they start working together as the team. And so they work together with a team of people who they relate to because they're in the same community, And so all you need is this organization, which is a small organization to use some technology to help unite them locally, and they'll work on all sorts of different issues. And so we'll start identifying pregnant women that need prenatal help, and so we're using them in New Jersey. So all of a sudden, this light peer-to-peer model is holding people together in a very cost-efficient way that want to work together rather than somebody on top telling them what they need to do.
0: So how people. do you empower people? And there are a lot of these peer-to-peer networks that are starting to develop. And that's the question, I think, on that point, is if that's the goal, if that's the holy Grail. Like what's the dragon? What's the thing so difficult to overcome that you might need to transform yourself or the world to make it happen? Thinking all the answers.
1: thinking you're better than someone else. thinking you're that great technology CEO who sold your business and took several billion dollars out. And now I'm going to fix the world. And so I'm going to cure cancer. And so I'm going to hire the person. I'm going to tell the researchers what things that they should be looking at or fund them. And I'm going to hold them accountable. And I am going to make that happen. Fails every time. But that's still happening left and right.
0: Yeah. Have the desire to create the change, but don't have the ego that says that you have the answers. Find others all of a sudden to do that. Find a couple of
1: people, catalysts, who will look out there and find out who's doing what, where? How can I be helpful? How can I unify some people together? How can I use a little bit of venture capital to leverage research that then could be matched by the U.S. government, NIH maybe? How can I start finding other groups, organizations that I can unify and help bring together because I have a bit of more of a media-managed ego. And how can I find some others that'll tell me, yeah, that, you're not going in a good direction, but their opinion is something else. And you have a debate and you honor their viewpoint. That's mm-hmm. what happened with the end fund where they brought together three major groups, Gautam, here Midiar, a bunch of others who said, we want to have an impact around these five neglected diseases across Africa. And so let's work together on that. Ten years later, they've raised billions from the government agencies. They've changed ministries of health in the way they operate. They would never have done that if they were just by themselves. They've gotten gates involved. They've gotten USAID involved. The same thing with Freedom Fund. Freedom Fund is another great example of anti-slavery. They found these local actors and all in Pakistan and India and others that said these are the sources and the areas where people are being grabbed and treated like slaves in work, as well as sexual slavery and other things. And so how do we stop it there at the beginning? No one individual could have figured that one out. It's this team, this global network that was developed called the Freedom Fund is accomplishing things that no one government and no one
0: organization could have done by themselves. Uh, the power of the collective rally cry is incredible. This is And measurement, this, and measurement. And uh, how me- we go, are
1: we actually accomplishing anything? Are we actually, is this a good investment for us? And that's where
0: if you don't hold yourself to that, you can just work on things and not get there. Jeff, this is incredible to have you on the show. Is there any last things you'd like to let people know about before you tell them how to get a hold of you? I just think you can be empowered to do
1: what you want to do. Use some of these tools and techniques to do that. And you can find some of the methods of doing that in Stanford Social Innovation Review. Some articles are written there in nice. the New Power New Power Book as well. And you can look up our new upcoming podcast, System Catalyst, which Catalyst. is going to interview a lot of these people that we're working on. And we're doing it with 10 organizations as our sponsors and partners. One, enhance audience, but also to have them give us their ideas of people. So we're listening to our own
0: medicine and saying, this isn't just our thing. This is their thing too. Yeah. That's incredible, man. I'm going to wrap this up. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you. I Great appreciate to see being you. Here. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much. And I will see you on the other side. All right. Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Are you interested in using disruptive technology like ChatGPT AI and virtual reality to help your business to generate more revenue and create greater impact? If so, go to heroesofreality.com to take the Heroes quiz to unlock your potential as a purpose-driven entrepreneur. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the other side.